Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is Episode 5, Peace of Mind. My guest today is Wendell Potter. Mr. Potter previously worked as a public relations executive for two of the country's largest insurance companies, Humana and Cigna. He left Cigna in 2008 due to a crisis of conscience. Since leaving Cigna, Mr. Potter has become a leading advocate for health care reform and a critic of the health insurance industry. Mr. Potter has written three books. His first book, Deadly Spin, described the deception and lies propagated by the health insurance companies. His second book is Obamacare, What's in it for me, what everyone needs to know about the Affordable Care Act. And his most recent book is Nation on the Take, How Big Money Corrupts Democracy and What We Can Do About It. This year, Mr. Potter was named president of the Business Initiative for Health Policy, a nonprofit organization that makes the business case for expanding Medicare to cover every American. Wendell Potter, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Joe, thank you very much. I'm sure that the health insurance industry and the special interests are going to be having all sorts of arguments against Medicare for All. Could you please tell me what you think they are going to do and what you think the arguments will be? They will argue that it's very disruptive. They will accentuate the disruption that it will cause to our healthcare system. And of course it will, because it will eliminate them. They will play what I often refer to as the tax card and the jobs card. They will emphasize the taxes that will be needed to be raised to pay for Medicare for all. They will say that lots of people will lose their jobs when you do something that's disruptive. And they will also try to make people think that something important is being taken away from. They are going to be arguing that we value the employer-based system, and they will try to get people to fear that something valuable will be taken away from them. And they will also try to make the case that government is not competent and that we can't trust the government to get more involved in health care. Well, that's interesting. Do you think that the shutdown is making people more trustworthy of the government? You know, I think for some people, yes. You're always going to have a segment of the population that believes that the smaller the government, the better. Um, so those folks, uh, by and large, are not people who you can persuade. That said, there are a lot of Republicans who are recognizing the shortcomings of our current system, to say the least, and are supportive of moving to uh, Medicare for all that system. Polls are showing that. And we've seen, in not only in current polling, but in polling in the past, that Americans often come to realize that the government needs to play a more important role in our health care system. And I think we're at that point again. So I do think the majority of Americans can trust government more than they can trust the private insurance industry to make sure that we get the care that we need. So let's discuss costs. People claim it'll be too expensive, but every study that has come out has shown that Medicare for all will be cheaper than our current health care system. Is that a true statement? 
is a true statement. And of course, the industry will try to make us worry about and think that we're talking about adding layers of cost and that this will be a burden to taxpayers. The challenge for advocates will be is to help people understand that most of us as Americans would be paying less for insurance, if you will. It wouldn't even be called insurance. It would be called Medicare. It's easy to scare people. And that is what the industry has done. And I used to be a part of it in years past, making people worry. They engage in tactics that we referred to as FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So they know how to get people to be afraid. One of the things that they will do is obscure the truth that this will be a more efficient and economical way of financing health care and that most of us will pay less. Almost all of us will pay less except the wealthiest among us and that they will try to make people believe that they will be not only losing something that they currently have, but they will be having to pay more for it, which is not the truth. That's a perception they will try to create. One of the things that I've discovered when listening to opponents of Medicare for All is they say, well, we're going to have to raise taxes, and they make it seem that you will have the taxes on top of what you already pay, which is not correct. Right. Could you comment on that? Yes, and that's exactly what they want to get people to believe, is that people will not only have the cost that they currently have now, but there'll be another layer of taxation burdening them, which is not true at all. So advocates need to help people have a paradigm shift in how they're thinking about this. They need people should be conditioned to see that what they're paying now in premiums and out-of-pocket costs is essentially a tax that is going to insurance companies for people to paradigm shift be able to think and come to understand that we're not talking about adding more expense. In fact, we're taking expenses out of a system, taking a lot of cost out of the current system. It would be far cheaper for most Americans to be covered under Medicare than is the case now and certainly will be the case in the future. One of the things that I do in my presentations is show just how rapidly premiums have been increasing over the past several years, including since the passage of the Affordable Care Act and also how much insurance companies and our employers have been shifting not only the cost of premiums to us, employees are now having to pay more of the share of employer-sponsored coverage, but they're making us pay more to get the care that we need out of our own pockets before their coverage kicks in. So we need to help people understand what's been going on and how we've been taken advantage of by insurance companies. So that's going to be the challenge, to help people understand the reality of how they are being treated and taken advantage of and how moving to Medicare for All will eliminate a lot of the cost of both uh, coverage and care. One of the things that I find is people don't understand that the problems we're having are because of our current multi-payer fragmented health insurance system. And these problems were happening before the Affordable Care Act. And I think it's important for people to realize that basically you will have these problems as long as we keep the current insurance system. You're absolutely right. And people have been led to believe that by having a multi-payer system, 
that creates competition. And we've all been led to believe that competition is to our benefit, that we all benefit from competition, that competition can lead to lower prices and better quality. It just does not work that way in healthcare. And that's another thing that advocates are going to have to do is to help people understand that in healthcare, it works exactly the opposite. The more insurance companies you have out there competing for enrollees, the more fragmented our healthcare system is and the less able those insurance companies are to negotiate favorable deals with healthcare providers. Uh, so it's a very, very inefficient system. And it's one also that is unique in the world in that the administrative expenses are so incredibly high. With the competition, so-called competition, you have uh, insurance companies spending a ton of money, a ton of our money in advertising and sales expenses and through a lot of other administrative expenses that are just simply unknown in the rest of the world. So we need to help people understand just how inefficient and costly the multi-payer system is and why we need to replace it with a single-payer healthcare system. To me, it would seem you'd have more competition under a single-payer system because people get to go to any doctor, medical professional, or hospital that they want so I think if a hospital isn't good, word would get out and people would stop going there. You make a very good point. You have to make a distinction between competition on the provider side and a competition on the payer side. And it is competition on the payer side that I'm talking about, about the incredible inefficiency. Because we have a multi-payer system, it's inherently inefficient. And we've got to have people understand that. Uh, on the provider side, start by saying that when we're talking about Medicare for All, we're talking about a system that is pertaining to the financing of healthcare, not the delivery of healthcare. Under a Medicare for All type of system, our healthcare would still be privately delivered. We're not talking about a system like in the UK, in which the National Health Service there owns many of the hospitals, if not most of the hospitals, and employs most of the doctors. We would have a system in which the delivery side of healthcare would remain private, and you're right. It could be structured so that the providers could and would be competing on a level playing field. And some things can be done as part of the legislation that's passed that would help people get the information they need to make decisions as to which provider to use. But in a Medicare for all type system, you would have the ability to go to see any doctor or go to any hospital that accepts Medicare, and most do in this country. That's certainly not the case in private insurance companies, particularly in recent years. We've seen that private insurance companies roll out these so-called narrow or skinny networks in which you get no coverage at all if you go out of network, and the networks are getting increasingly skinny. So you would have actually far more choice in a Medicare for all in terms of providers. And the insurance industry will lead you to believe that when we talk about competition, we're also talking about the fact that we value competition among uh, health insurance companies. Uh, we need to demonstrate that that's not the case. When we talk about competition, we think it's fine on the provider side, but it is completely inefficient and unworkable on the financing side of healthcare. While we're talking about competition, I want to bring up one important point about cost, and that is that Medicare for All eliminates deductibles, copayments, and coinsurance. Because right now, of course, you have people, even with insurance, who can't afford to get medical care. Well, not only do you not have premiums, you don't have those costs. So the only costs you really have are the slight increase in taxes. 
You're so right. Uh, and one of the things I do in the presentations is to show just how much we've been saddled with out-of-pocket expenses over the last several years. And sadly, since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, it has done nothing to halt the growth in deductibles in out-of-pocket spending. I know there are some limits, but still, insurance companies are pushing more and more of the cost of care to us in the form of deductibles. And you would not have that under the Medicare for All type program that is part of the legislation that will be before Congress, both on the House and Senate side. It would eliminate these out-of-pocket expenses. So people would be paying a lot less. Uh, already in this country, we're paying close to uh, $20,000 a year just in premiums. That doesn't count out-of-pocket expenses. When you add the out-of-pocket expenses, the average family in this country spends over $25,000 now, uh, if not more per year on health care. And that's just outrageous, far, far more than anybody else in any other developed country in the world or any country in the world for that matter. So I'd like to shift gears here a bit. And I want to read you something that Senator Roy Blunt, Republican from Missouri, said on Meet the Press on December 16th. You know, one thing I think we should be able to unite on is Medicare for all would wind up meaning Medicare for none. That's obviously a false statement. Do you think that this will be something that the opponents will try to use? I have no doubt it will be. That strikes me as something that was absolutely cooked up by consultants for the insurance industry and PR firms for the insurance industry. The way it works, and I used to do this, those of us who were in PR for health insurance companies would craft talking points like that. And they are within what I was talking about earlier, those fear, uncertainty, and doubt campaigns. That is a perfect example of that, of trying to get people to fear these proposed changes or this transformation of our healthcare system to make people think that somehow Medicare would no longer be the program that it is that provides such protection for people who are 65 or older or people with disabilities. The real reason for doing that is to scare people who are currently on Medicare to make people think that the Medicare program would somehow be diminished and that it might not be there as people have been counting like to be there and it has been there for so many people for so many years. So it is a talking point. It's one that can be said very quickly, and that's the beauty of these kinds of talking points like that. You can scare people with a soundbite like that is. So I would absolutely expect that we will hear that many, many times. Advocates need to know that and be prepared to push back against it and call it out for what it is, which is an absolute lie. The other thing, and you actually touched on this, will the insurance company imply that seniors will lose coverage if we go to Medicare for All? Oh, yes. One of the tactics, as I noted earlier, that the insurance industry will be deploying and one of their talking points, among their talking points, will be that something that you value will be taken away from you, whether it is your employer sponsor of coverage. Uh, which many of us are increasingly coming to realize is of less and less value to us every single year, but also to get seniors uh, to fear this kind of a change. And they're having some success. I've heard some senior citizens oppose Medicare for All because they fear somehow we have a zero-sum game here and that some unworthy people will get access to care or some of the money that is currently allocated to Medicare programs for seniors will go to people who are undeserving. So that's the subtle message here and one of the reasons why that can be an effective talking point for them. What would you say is the best way to counter some of these arguments that are going to pop up? 
on somewhat of an emotional level. We've got to also come up with ways of refuting that in a soundbite, too. The challenge that we have, and always advocates face this challenge, is that opponents of what we're trying to do can diminish our work and try to discredit it with a soundbite to scare people. So our challenge is to have responses to these kinds of lies with a pithy, memorable expression, too. The problem is, of course, it takes some time to explain Medicare for all. We can do a much better job of replying to accusations and lies like this. And we also have to do a lot of storytelling. We have to make sure that we connect with people on an emotional level. Those talking points that when you mentioned from Senator Blunt is designed to connect with people on an emotional level. He's not laying out any facts and figures there. And that's what we've got to understand as well, too. We've got to connect with people on an emotional level through storytelling and telling our own stories about why we are advocates for this. One of the things that I wonder about is if it's better to lead with the benefits of Medicare for All. So, for example, if somebody would ask me why I support Medicare for All, if I had to give the elevator speech version, it would be, it covers everybody, it gets rid of coinsurance, co-payments, and deductibles, so it removes the financial strain, and you have the freedom to choose any doctor or hospital you want. Do you think perhaps leading with the benefits, then getting into the storytelling, setting that frame might be effective? It could be, but I think you really need to lead with storytelling. You need to explain why you're in this fight for your own personal reasons, or maybe you have someone in your own family that you care about, and you want to make sure that they have access to care and that the chances of their having the care that we've had are diminishing as we look at our current system that it's not sustainable. I say that because I think you really need right off the bat to have a connection with the person you're talking to or the audience you're talking to so, so that they see you as someone like them and not necessarily lay out facts right off the bat. You can work in the facts uh, as you talk with them, but they first need to see you as someone who is like them. When we talk about universal coverage, we need to understand that's very important, and it makes a lot of sense rationally, not just from a human perspective, but when you have everyone in, no one is going uninsured and showing up at the emergency room not being able to pay, and so consequently health insurance premiums go up, and so do the cost of the taxpayers. But explaining that's a bit more of a challenge to people because you have to make the intellectual argument there. And some people, frankly, think that some people are not deserving of care, that they somehow have pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and have earned their coverage. And there are some people out there who are not like them, who are shirking their individual responsibility, not hardworking people. So you've got to understand that there are a lot of folks out there who think that way. And again, I'll go back. They think this is a zero-sum game, that the more people who are covered, that means that there's going to be less for me. You just need to know that, that some people think that way. One of the things it seems like you're saying is we need to emphasize that Medicare for All will actually provide better benefits and better coverage for everybody in those emotional stories. Yeah, exactly right. You need to do that. And you need to remind people, too, and tell them stories about people who are enrolled in Medicare, appreciate and love that program. You'll find satisfaction with Medicare far higher than people who are privately insured. They don't have the worry that if they lose a job, that their coverage will go away. They have more peace of mind. And I think using terms like that, peace of mind, is very important as well, too. 
people once they reach Medicare eligibility. And I've heard so many people over the years who've told me that they were just counting the day, counting the months, the years, in some cases, the days that they were getting closer to eligibility of being able to no longer have to worry about making sure that they were working for an employer who had insurance and weren't worried about being laid off and then losing their insurance. So there's a lot of peace of mind that comes with this as well, too, that I think we need to stress. If you were designing a campaign or wanted to tell a story, how would you lead? What would be the first thing you do to build support for Medicare for All? I would leave with my own personal story, and I would try to figure that out. I would take some time to tell some kind of a story, some way of relating to the person or audience you're talking to. And that varies from person to person. And there's, there's not one story that works for everybody. But I just stress that for people to take the time to give thought to that. If you were to go to someone's door, knock on the door and say, I'm here to ask you to support Medicare for all. Be prepared to start out by saying why you are doing this, why it's important to you before you lay out facts and figures. You might have some leave behind or something that shows how much more efficient this is. But I think it's going to be vitally important for people to be prepared to tell their own stories about why they're doing this. Some people claim that Medicare for All will cause health care rationing in long wait times. That's one of the arguments that the opponents will try to make. And I did that in my old job. We would often cite statistics that were really not real from Canada in particular to make people think that Canadians waited forever to get needed care. It's just simply not true. So we need to make sure that we are refuting that and maybe even having some anecdotes lined up of our own. Because a lot of what the other side does, they they have some phony statistics, but they also have these phony stories about knowing somebody who is a Canadian citizen who came to the U.S. to get the care that they needed because they were not going to be getting into Canada because of these long waits. That's not true. The reality is that the United States has the worst system of rationing in the developed world. It is based on ability to pay. And people need to realize that if you're not enrolled in Medicare today, you have no assurance, no guarantee that tomorrow you will be able to have access to the care that you need. If you have it through the employer, your employer could lay you off, could fire you, could go out of business, could stop offering benefits. If you have coverage through the individual market, you might be able to afford it this year, but not next year. And if you have an employer-sponsored coverage and you think that you're in good shape, you more than likely now have a high deductible. And if you get very sick or injured, you're going to find out only too late in many cases just how inadequate your coverage is. So many of us in this country live paycheck to paycheck, and it's becoming increasingly apparent as the government has been shut down. We're hearing these stories of government workers who live paycheck to paycheck, and that's not just government workers. Most of us, quite frankly, uh, have very, very little money in the bank to cover an emergency. These deductibles, as they go up, often are much higher than the average amount of money that people have in savings. One of the questions I have is, I know there are people who like their employee-sponsored health insurance, but are those people who haven't really gotten very sick, and once they use it, they discover that it's not as good as they thought? Well, I'll respond to that in two ways. One, most of us are fortunate in that we go throughout the year without having a medical emergency or being seriously ill or injured. 
So we don't test the limits of our coverage or test how much we would have to pay out of our own pockets for care. Some people do, but the majority of us have this false sense of security that coverage will be adequate if we do need it. The other is, this is a system that we've grown up with, and we've been told that this is the best system in the world. We've been lied to for many, many years, and most of us have very little familiarity that's based on any real facts about how other systems operate. So we've been told lies for many, many years about how other systems operate, and so we're easily made afraid of any kind of change, and we're, we can be made afraid easily that this kind of change that we're talking about can result in something that they value highly without any real reason to value this highly. The other side knows how to play on people's fears and insecurities. But again, we don't know very much about any other alternative. We grew up with this system and think it's what we need to stick with. Before we end, would you have anything that you would like to add? The thing that I would like to add is that we all need to play our role in becoming advocates to be vocal in our support for this and to take the time to become effective messengers for this. And that will require us to figure out how we can use the right words and phrases. And I think there are organizations that are going to be working on that and equipping advocacy organizations to do that very thing. The other thing that I think is vitally important is for the business community to get on board with this. And I think that we're seeing that beginning to happen. And that's the reason I signed up to be president of the Business Initiative for Health Policy. Businesses are becoming more and more aware that they've been sold a bill of goods by the insurance companies over the years. They're seeing it and how it's affecting their bottom line year after year and how more difficult it is for them to be able to continue to offer coverage to their workers that's really valuable to them. So we need to do all we can to talk to people we know who are who own businesses, small businesses, large businesses, uh, any connections we have with the business community, we need to recruit those folks to this site. Well, I haven't talked to a lot of business owners. The ones that I've talked to don't like having to spend so much time dealing with health care and health insurance and figuring out what coverage to get. They hate it. They hate it. A lot of them, though, fear that the government would be worse and they've got to be, we've got to help them overcome that belief and fear. But they despise it. Uh, they despise having to not only deal with insurance companies, but uh, it's so complex they have to deal with broker agents and brokers to help figure out what is best for them. And often, you just have to take someone's advice without really fully understanding. And there are so many layers of expense. The agent has to be paid, the broker has to be paid, and, of course, the insurance company. And that just adds to the administrative expense that we talked about earlier. They hate it. Well, Wendell, thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained. Joe, my pleasure. I appreciate uh, having a chance to talk with you and appreciate what you're doing. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening. <laughs>